Hello and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge and I'm your host. I'm the author of 12 books, a CEO of 12 years, a founder of a startup set on data privacy, most importantly an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. Most excitingly, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance, specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. My work includes everything from mitigating injuries to conditioning behaviors that set a player up long-term for the long game towards a top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, optimal behavior for optimal performance, the barrier breaker, the rule of transference to the golden rule. As has become custom, each episode we dive into one of my books to share additional insights and dig a little deeper. We've been focusing on the secrets to optimal coaching success, the role of experience, optimal performance practices and outcomes in the real world with over 60 episodes to date. Today's topic plays its own role like so many other episodes in developing the player, parent to coach for that road ahead towards a top 10 tennis ranking. So as always, buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Oh my goodness. If you are new, thank you so much. But if you've been with us for some time now, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. But then you also know where that oh my goodness has come from. It has been now an entire, oh, I want to say one to two weeks since the release of my latest book, how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking and it has been incredibly exciting and surreal Um, many mixed emotions on multiple fronts because again if you're familiar with um, a handful of our episodes you know that it has been quite an extensive task it has been 11 years in the making eight years of um, putting it together um, building the complete collection and even though this is my 12th book released it still is such a phenomenal achievement in its own right that it is now out there and I think it is it it has to be one of my best yet and I say that um, with the most genuine and sincerest um, intention because it was so exhausting in the best possible way because it was so complicated and I think uh, most of us can appreciate the road towards a top 10 tennis ranking it's not essentially easy 
So piecing that all together with the data, of course, is incredibly extensive and equally important. To be able to do it, I think, justice um, in respect to not only piecing it together, but making sense of all of the data that's out there. So, and I've shared this example in previous episodes. I'm akin to say a Facebook or you know OpenAI, and what you need to do to just really fine tune that um, to get down to what it's really saying. And so those of you who have already read now how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking, thank you so much. It is phenomenal. Um, Those of you who haven't though, there are a lot of key snippets in there and it's so important to share, I think, these additional insights just to become familiar with, I guess, the the process of the, the data collation to, I think, the scientific understanding, but also how it's really simplified to say, you know what, courtesy of the power of the eighth key, which is obviously the subheading, it is so incredibly, I think, powerful in, in equal amounts because what has been done here is that I've broken down the key parts of the data to how to develop that top 10 tenants ranking and then built eight specific keys that correspond with their didactic modes, which is essentially how we learn. And I know it's really early to get into, but each and every episode we share that humanized approach. And here the applicability is how humans learn, so how individuals learn. And one, I think, key reminder, whether it is for that, the coach, the player, the child, the parent, is to remember that every single child, human, individual, adult learns differently. And that's so important. And it really underscores why some phenomenal players never crack it into the top 10. They never cross that threshold. And it really underscores the power of the golden rule. Uh, It really amplifies the importance of um, a good coaching pedagogy to the differentiators between an elite coaching pedagogy. So, and we simplified that, and I've shared that in, in previous episodes, by let's look at your baseline understandings. Um, what is essentially your coaching philosophy? Does this uh, correlate with or and include and incorporate the eight keys? Are you continuously embedding them in your coaching practices? Now, we've had episodes on coach education. So I'm sure you can see here, which is a really good example, that if you do not have a generalized understanding of these concepts, that your ability to integrate these eight keys, it's not very strong. Because what we want to do is to make sure, one, you've got access. And now the access is here 
here because all eight keys are available. And But then we want to ma make sure you have that understanding. So to build that understanding, that is where the complete collection comes in. So it really fills a gap in the coach education framework or structure globally. So irrespective where you are based in the world, Australia, Europe, uh, North America, South America, Africa, it does not matter where you are based. But what, what we do know is that each coach education provider globally or universally, uh, depending how you want to phrase it or word it, is problematic. And I say problematic in respect to no coach education provider has access to this, nor are they integrating it because one, it is new, um, so it's, it's come about. Two is that we're not affiliated with any coach education provider because we wanted to make sure you have access irrespective of where you're based in the world and or who you are affiliated with it does not matter and these are core overriding i think principles to make sure irrespective of where you're based in the world you have the opportunity to progress towards a top 10 tennis ranking because these eight keys comprise of the toolkit these eight keys essentially comprise of not only how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking it accommodates yes let's say the current WTA to ATP tour players who aspire to progress towards the top 100, top 50, top 20, and ultimately the top 10. But this also means it accommodates players who do not have a ranking. They are fighting or vying for that first ranking point. Every single player on the ITF tour and or circuit, every single player, child, athlete at a local academy or club looking at developing their game with their hopes set on becoming a professional tennis player. These are the guideposts to live by, to abide by, to ensure you stay the course of the pathway and the long game that are both are laid out in equal measure on AMA International for those who are not familiar. But what's really important here is integrating these key foundations because what we do know is that if you are a player let's say under 18 years of age and you are not integrating these um, keys it makes the likelihood of your uh, smooth and fluid transition towards a top 10 tennis ranking more complex and or complicated because you have a lot of regressing to do before you can progress and what i mean by that recall in previous episodes um, the argument around say the ten thousand balls and what it means to automate a skill uh, what it means to develop a serial skill and the role of these discrete skills and i can guarantee you each and every player out there within this age range you will need one of these discrete skills at a very minimum to regress because you're going to have to relearn that new skill and what that essentially means is that if you need to regress or relearn that specific discrete skill that serial skill is 
temporarily compromised. And so what we mean by that, um, and one of my favourite examples could be uh, with the serve. Now, let's say um, you're really happy with your serve. It's been following, I think, your set expectations. And then you realise that that level of flexion in your lower body is almost obsolete, which means you're placing more pressure on your spine to um, cause potentially a stress fracture, which is incredibly concerning. And I have seen this over the course of the last 15 to 20 years in a handful of athletes and the parents coming to me, why and or how that's happening? And simply because um, most coaches do not understand the role of the kinetic chain and or functional movement, I think principles to parameters, how we need to modify a specific uh, technique and certain accommodations we need to make for the individual and or the athlete to ensure they can obviously reach those peak performances. And these are uh, very, I think, simple examples. Um, my absolute favorite, and one of my favorites, I should say, is also with, I think, the ground stroke, um, irrespective of it's your forehand or backhand. More, more typically, this happens on the, uh, the forehand side. And it is caused by the, the lifting, I will call it, of that elbow. Um, most players are taught a very circular motion which can be supported but they're also encouraged to raise that elbow nice and high and to make a really big circle with that elbow um, during obviously that backswing phase before obviously driving through and or following through depending how you'd like to term that but what happens to be problematic here is when that elbow um, lifts when that elbow lifts above shoulder height now when that happens that's not a functional movement you are compromising that shoulder um, and you're putting additional stress again on that shoulder which can lead to impingement which can also lead to other issues which I will not get into and more commonly um, that shoulder pain and or discomfort is associated with the serve and given it also can happen with the serve when that point of contact is um, not as it should be so typically when that ball is I think um, too far obviously um, internal external or behind but specifically on the ground stroke when that elbow lifts too high you are setting yourself up for an injury either with, within the given season, depending on the severity, and or if you're lucky over the course of the next couple of years. And it's obviously, it, it's not lucky. It means that between, let's say, that two, three year time frame, and if you continue to use that technique, your shoulder is going to steadily break down. And so the likelihood of you following that long game in the pathway and progressing towards a top 10 tennis ranking is already um, at risk because by the time you're 17, 18, that's when you're going in for surgery and or you're already rehabilitating that shoulder. And for, for me personally, that happened, I want to say around the time I was 19, 20, I, I think maybe 18. And unfortunately, it ended up being ongoing. And 
it did not end very well. And I've shared, I think, more on that um, in previous episodes. But more concerningly, I think, when we're broaching this is when I look at social media um, and and different, I think, performances, whatever's obviously on, on the feed, is that... I want to say nine out of every 10 players, specifically in that uh, junior age range, so let's say 18 and under, um, lift their elbow too high. There are a lot of, I think, players towards, I think, you know, the, the later teens to early 20s that also do this, which is equally concerning. And the cause for concern here is that if you have your site set on that top 10 tennis ranking, of course you are compromising the likelihood of that progression. Now, is there a chance that you will progress towards the top 50, the top 30? with that type of a technical inference the answer to that is of course of course there is a possibility however i definitely cannot guarantee you that it's not going to be troublesome with um (laughs) the complications with that shoulder it could potentially get quite painful um over um, a a set uh, period of time but more so i can tell you the likelihood of you entering the top 10 is incredibly small and I say why why is that the case it's because when we're looking at the new technical uh, parameters to implications in this latest book so how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking and it's also been discussed in previous texts from especially the science of elite performance to the what is your game missing series um i'm your tennis coaching guru uh, the seven keys to optimize your life all of these books encompass this, this specific technical parameter which has direct correlations with a top 10 tennis ranking and specifically um, so full circle here we go back to the discrete skills the serial skills and these are specific discrete skills that obviously comprise of them that um, serial skill and which means that if you are overextending that elbow um, in I think this specific case and or using that serve example even because we're obviously accounting for the rule of transference those of you who are not familiar please recall previous episodes so when we factor this in um, you cannot the likelihood of you uh, integrating to applying this technical parameter whilst overextending it does not work that way um, because when you adopt this new technical um, parameter you are also limiting the likelihood so recall I think um, in the introduction how it shares that my work is also responsible for mitigating injuries this is one example now I don't normally shed I think light on this but since I think how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking has been released I wanted to share now just more additional insights on how it works and more so how we can really mitigate injuries um, in this way. 
Now, some examples um, in respect to injuries, injury management and mitigating injuries to begin with would be from Nadal, who has been sidelined, not for the first time, which is very disheartening. Then you've got um, Osaka coming back, and obviously that's not necessarily injury related, but the concern is for every player on their comeback to make sure key technical inferences are addressed and are looked after to mitigate um, the susceptibility to the onset of injury. Now the same uh, would be applicable then for Wozniacki, who's more recently come out of retirement uh, late last season, or this season's and the likelihood of developing an injury is quite high if I think the correct work ratio um, is not adhered to as along with obviously those key technical parameters. Another key player would be Raducanu who's coming back from injury from her peak from when she won the US Open. She has had let's say an unfortunate um, occurrence with injuries since then um, on and off and there's a lot to say on that topic because um, we know that the key reasons why these injuries continue to happen. The same with I think the reasons why her ranking has regressed and there's a lot to unpack there um, but definitely her current ranking obviously aligns with her performance in that if she wants to secure that top 20 uh, tennis ranking um, irrespective of that Grand Slam win that there's a lot of work to be done and, and we see this a lot with uh, Grand Slam players who won their maiden slams not inside the top 10 um, at that stage and they easily regress. Sophia uh, Kennan is another example but she has been finding her form again and is steadily coming back. Now the likelihood of her um, continuing this progression and or ascension is quite high if she maintains course with uh, the pathway and the long game in conjunction but when we're looking at injuries and mitigating injuries their management and how to I think better um, adopt functional movement parameters to patterns and just really re-looking and reconsidering uh, technical inferences the implications how these discrete skills are interworked in our games irrespective of the outcome of that serial skill so you may look at the outcome of that serve as you're really happy with it but there may be a specific inference in that serve as a specific discrete skill that could be compromising I think the longevity of that joint and of that function uh, and maybe compromising that player's body um, in not a good way. Another player who is I think most recently unfortunately withdrawn from the 2024 Australian Open is Kyrgios. Now he has unfortunately again been um, susceptible to a handful of injuries this past season since his peak performance in that Wimbledon final and whilst his game is incredibly responsive with a huge potential here we can look at the susceptibility to injuries and where that has come from and or why and we know um, specifically with some core injuries that he has unfortunately faced that a lot of these are associated with these 
discrete skills that are being touched on, but also uh, these newer technical um, inferences and their respective implications in the best possible way uh, to ascend towards that top 10 tennis ranking, which also underscores why he has not been able to ascend towards a top 10 tennis ranking. Of course, he has come very close. And I know Swiatek is an Osaka is as well. In noting how the game has changed, Serena was definitely at the forefront of that and Venus as well. And and obviously, yes, Federer, there are so many uh, remarkable plays in their own right because we can touch on how the game has progressed and changed and unfortunately we have a lot of coaches and or even commentators who have not been privy to this they have not been hands-on with this and they do not have access to this data not that it's not accessible to them but they're choosing not to read not to um, upskill in this manner which is incredibly problematic because these coaches are responsible for coaching the next generation of play and what we're seeing and we've been seeing this over a 10 plus year I think um, time frame is that there's a reason why these players continue to drop there's a reason why these players are not cracking into the top 10 there's a reason why specifically the top four were able to win a 20 grand slams or more each for a period of time because those other players were not coming knocking on the door with i think um synonymous uh, technical parameters to toe the line with them obviously atp tour you had all three at once uh, challenging one another but there was a reason why there wasn't consistently that fourth fifth sixth play or all top 10 players doing so on the wta tour it, it was very similar however now more than ever we have more uh grand slam champions on the women's tour because there's not just one player with all grand slams uh, in a manner of speaking but more so than the atp tour it goes to show and underscores the heightened level of play on the top 10 because recall again in previous episodes how i've shared more uh, players inside the top 10 on the wta tour have grand slams in contrast to the ATP tour. Now, the argument maybe have, well, you know, Djokovic is too good and he's got all these grand slams and, you know, we just can't beat him. But then, you know, the same argument can be had, why not? Why can you not? And it's as simple as, well, Djokovic is privy to the eight keys. Why aren't you? What are you doing about upskilling to progress? And that is as, uh, as clear cut as it is and it's underscores by the data. And we know that. Uh, why does the WTA Tour have more players with Grand Slams? No, it's not just because there's one player dominating, um, irrespective, obviously, of Swiatek's incredible, I think, um, rise and ability to maintain and sustain her level of play. But it's that we have more than one player are capable of 
um, consistently applying and integrating the eight keys, which is really cool to share now because I think all year it's been around the seven keys and I've had to hold back on the eighth key. And it's really exciting now with the release of how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking that I can finally share that it was an eight key hidden all along. And it really goes to show that the argument about, you know, this one player is just so phenomenal. It's not taking anything away from them. But what it says is that, of course, they're phenomenal because they are integrating all eight keys. And we know and we've got the data to back that. And that's the most exciting part. And we're looking at we have this specific blueprint as a concise pathway towards that top 10 tennis ranking um, in this explicit text. And so it shows you if you are not following this pathway or integrating this specific key and or this specific action and or step, know that top 10 tennis ranking is not on the table. We also know why um, certain players are ranked outside of the top 200 and stay there with specific correlations. We know why players um, ascend towards a ranking inside the top 50 and stay, but they never edge close enough towards a top 10 tennis ranking. So we know these key uh, differentiators. We know why the top 20 is so new unique in respect to the rest of the playing field but more so we also know what separates the top 20 from the top 10 why plays in the top 10 regress towards they the top 20 and and they struggle and or they hover between so again recall and i think in the last I'll say one, two episodes since because those of you who are familiar, we do record slightly in advance. So it does fluctuate between one, two weeks. And what we're saying is that 92% do not know. And I've shared that again in our previous episodes. And so what that means is 8% know. 8% of players know. But when we're looking at the top 10 specifically, we have that 2% margin. And essentially that represents 2% of players inside the top 10 who will regress each and every season because of. And that also leaves room for those barrier breakers. So those players ranked inside potentially the top 20 who then cross that threshold, which is incredibly problematic for players inside the top 10. Now, let's circle back to the mitigating injuries and the management and when we're looking at those technical implications, because I'm probably just as excited as any one of you to see Nadal back on court. And it's merely now, uh, when this goes to air, I roughly one, two weeks away, which is incredibly exciting. And I'm personally looking forward to it immensely. But we also know when such a toll and load has been placed on a body over an extended period of time, these things can happen and or do happen. And it's so important to factor in here uh, genetics. 
And I say that very, I think, loosely, but also sincerely, because again, recall that humanized approach. We're all individuals. So again, how we all learn differently. And obviously there are crossovers, cross sections, etc. We're all very similar, but all quite different and unique in our own way. But also our bodies are very similar, which means some of us are incredibly limble. So I'll use the example of some of us can touch our toes and others cannot. Some of us, it takes a few tries. Others, we can only get our fingertips to our knees. And others can place our hands flat on the ground. So when we're looking at the tennis player, and again, over a longer period of time, um, these are, let's say, limits, sublimits begin to show. Whereas the player who potentially can place their hands on the ground, and if they are aligning with all eight keys, their longevity is going to be slightly higher, as well as if they've been incorporating key technical parameters. But also when we are looking at Nadal, for example, the argument again can be because of genetics and of that highest level of play, there's going to be compromises. And we can look also at Federer, of course, because he did um, unfortunately um, become susceptible to um, an injury later on in his career that ended up obviously seeing his last season on tour. I think it was two seasons ago now, which is um, it's gone quite quite quickly but also then Serena as well but she, I think she was quite fortunate for most I think uh, longer a part of her career but also note how the taping of her ankles to wrist was very common but all of those four players irrespective with Djokovic being I will say active and Nadal coming back we can say that they predominantly looked after their bodies however Nadal has been more susceptible now I'm going to put my hand up with Nadal here because unfortunately over the last mm, 15 plus years I can um, share very uh, similar traits, how my body has become very susceptible to um, injuries over the years. But specifically, it stems from something. And But the downside to that is that everyone is built differently. And again, the literature, the science um, underscores that. But it's so important to accommodate, I think, these differences and the management of that but also how the body is built so when i say how the body is built we want to then look at the bone structure so what then is a suitable load uh, personally i know what it's like this specific year to have a bone abnormality in the hip now i share that because or fai and it's specifically in respect to how a child is either born and or develops in their formative years. It's got nothing to do with their adult life and or their performances. However, it becomes an ailment and or an injury in a manner of speaking to be managed um, in those, I think, you know, the latest, whether in your 20s, 30s, etc., to, to manage. Now, Nadal, for example, could have something very similar. 
where it could be um, bone related. He has shared in the past, obviously, concerns with his feet. And I also relate to that because I've had um, similar ongoing issues over the years with my feet. And that is something that he continuously manages. Now, it is something that is managed opposed to something that has gone away because of how he has been built. There is no specific answer as to why some uh, people, individuals are more susceptible than others. It just is. So I really need to underscore the just is how you were uh, made, how you were built, comprised, what your individual, I think, genetics are, what your DNA is. But more so, when we're looking at mitigating injuries, these are, I think, the exception to the rule if it has to do with, I think, you internally. But that does not discount the key, I think, parameters to inferences of that top 10 tennis ranking because Nadal alongside Djokovic, Serena and Federer all align with these key technical parameters and circle back to those discrete skills towards that serial skill and how they obviously are developed is that all four of them align with that the grand slam champions over the last uh, 10 years predominantly align with this every single top 10 tennis player at this given time align with this every single top 10 tennis player over the period of study over the past 11 years align with either that 92% that 8% towards that 2% that regress and or progress so it's not just these four these four earned their success in their own right because of their level of consistency and application of key technical parameters associated with uh, top 10 tennis ranking with direct correlations and we're factoring in mitigating injuries there they were all able to sustain specific levels of play that allowed them to win 20 plus grand slams each or 20 or more because of this level of maintenance that we touch on and how this level of maintenance is achieved over a, a period of time not just one two or three seasons because we have players of Osaka for example who has been able to do it over a handful of seasons we've got Azarenka who was still there who was, was previously able to do it over a number of seasons when she was number one in the world Wozniacki was able to sustain or maintain that level of play when she also was number one and all ranked inside the top 10 for a number of years. So we know we've got uh, key indicators here to currently Swiatek being able to, to hold her own and all Alcaraz as well to Sinna being able to maintain this. But we also know what causes a top 10 player to become more susceptible to an injury. And that is obviously the mismanagement of these technical uh, parameters and implications. But more so, we know the increasing likelihood of a top 50 to top 20 player succumbing to an injury because the likelihood that they are consistently applying these key technical uh, parameters is lower. And when I say lower, I mean that the, the frequency of use, for example, for a top 10 tennis player could be 90%. The frequency of use for a top 20 player may be 60%. So that margin, for example, means 30% of the time they are using a different technical parameter, means they're putting their body under other stress 
um, stresses and or factors that compromise their body, which means that additional 30% of the time that load is not um, shared, it is not balanced. And so they are putting added pressure on their body, um, which essentially means that they are um, becoming more and more susceptible to that injury. More often than not, an injury does not happen just then, overnight. An example, obviously, for that would be Zarev when he had that freak on-court accident at the French Open with Nadal. That is obviously an exception to the rule. What we're talking about here is the mitigating injuries is that whether it is the knees and or wrists and or back and or elbows to shoulders that are specifically to do with your technique, your development, your ability to progress towards a top 10 tennis ranking, not the one-off um, I misstep so roll my ankle, I tore a ligament, oh my goodness. Um, that's very different because that is, I think, uh, life and accidents can and or will and or do happen, unfortunately. And then it's obviously rehabilitating and putting the work in to get back to that level. But what happens specifically or more so in the developmental play is that if they are not learning these skills and developing these skills and they are not strengthening their bodies around these specific skills, they're becoming more susceptible to develop an injury because of neglecting these key foundations. And that's what becomes more and more problematic. When you have an elite level play inside the top 100, we know specifically, um, and I dare I say definitively, that they are not applying uh, these key technical implications. We know that and the data underscores that and that is why they're 100 to you know, top 80 in the world, for example. And we know specifically what allows a player to progress towards the top 50, but why they are halted at say top 30 in the world. And there are specific rulers then that progress a top 30 player towards the top 20, towards the top 10. And obviously, the end point there is how, is that blueprint how. And a little known secret is, and I have, I think, inadvertently shared this uh, over the past 60 plus episodes now, is that I wasn't sure if I was ever going to share this blueprint. And the why behind that is unraveled in this book. And it's really, I think, concerning on multiple fronts. The good news, however, is that it's out. The blueprint has been shared, but it's something that has been sat on and built upon over the last 11 years. And so I really hope if you are that parent, that guardian, that player, that athlete, that coach um, involved in tennis in any way, shape or form, even as a fan, a spectator, to commentate, uh, to former athlete, player, you do embrace and get your hands on it because it really underscores what's responsible for the current generation of play as we head towards the next generation of play and how the game of tennis has changed in this way. We've got uh, some very well-known coaches who are trying to change the game of tennis, which I have to disagree with. And I say that because they do not have access to this data. They don't understand these inferences, these implications and, and the why behind that. 
Um, the different management, I think, that, that's a, of the game overall is very different. But when we're looking at how the game has evolved to change from a player's and coach's standpoint, these are absolutely fundamental. Okay, I think that was a really good deep dive into, I think, my latest text and sharing those additional insights that I have promised. And given that we are now, oh, I want to say almost just less than a week before Christmas, which is incredibly exciting um, for those of you obviously who celebrate it, um, I, I wanted to, I think piggyback of our previous episode because we started to touch on uh, surface changes and those specific correlations um, but we only got I think really early on in the chapter so today's I think later half the ending of today's episode I wanted to I think wind that up all and circle back in this respect because there's nothing like leaving something open I wanted to close that off to really do that topic I think justice so recall that we are on page 95 and we did touch on that initial paragraph to begin with so I'm going to start a little further down and just share some key snippets some sports that do in fact vary between surfaces include volleyball indoor outdoor zen soccer grass or tarmac netball, pavement, bitumen, or indoor, tennis, carpet, grass, clay, rebound, pavement, hard or synthetic grass, and basketball, pavement, bitumen, and indoor. A result of these surface changes, albeit more demanding for players' athletes, that transition between these falls to the coach and the conditioning of their players or athletes that prepares them to perform in and on these types of surfaces. However, due to kids being kids, the surface that they opt to play on is not necessarily a priority, which means all coaches, regardless of your sport, need to account for surface changes in how their players or athletes are conditioned. This is really important because, again, recall the later half of our previous episode. And I started to, I think, touch on, you know, training for your environment, surface changes, and this is, a, I think, a key topic here because it's not just tennis. Uh, many sports, whether it is, you know, soccer to netball to basketball, there are those court changes, specifically, I will say, um, in the developmental years. More so for the elites or the professionals, it's more controlled, so more, more uniform. However, tennis is the exception with those four different surfaces, typically throughout the year, even though I think it's arguable that the US Open to the Australian Open have very um, more similarities obviously in contrast to you know, Wimbledon to the French Open but where I'm going here and again recall um, the previous episode is that kids are going to be kids so they don't care what surface they're on they're just going to play and I think that's um, forgotten and it really needs to be remembered because it does not matter what surface you are on, you still want to uh, contact the ball the same. The only thing that will change in this respect is your movement and how 
how you choose to make contact with the ball and your gameplay, so that scenario, um, your planning, your preparedness. So we're really looking at your anticipation and your preparedness um, in conjunction with and or to because insofar as your technique is concerned, the te technical implications, this is absolutely paramount to remember so irrespective of what surface you are playing on you do not want to compromise your body it's not about hitting the ball higher it's not about hitting the ball lower it's not about i think you know changing your technique at a detriment to your body it's about keeping your game so specifically those technical inferences uniform that they are absolutely your game and in sync um, in a manner of speaking. What changes between surface obviously is how you respond, which means if the ball is coming to you faster or slower, you're going to choose, make that decision of hitting the ball obviously on the rise or before, before the, the second bounce um, or just before sorry and it's so important to factor this in um, one of the problems that i often see uh, specifically in players not inside the top 10 is that they're called a baseline player so they hug the line and what becomes problematic here this is a very big secret is that these players tend to compromise their point of contact so they give up their ability to maintain those key technical inferences uh, in, co in contrast with and or to staying on the baseline and hugging the baseline at their detriment and this often means they have not put the work into their footwork and or their speed and their agility and there's nothing worse because you want to see a player continuously moving up down up down up down up down off that baseline behind the baseline up to the baseline that continuous movement because they are continuously changing and adapting to the ball that's coming towards them but they are not compromising their technical parameters and i cannot stress this enough it is so absolutely important now if you want a further understanding about this or more explanation i really encourage you to take a deep dive into the what is your game missing series so that is what is your game missing what is your game missing now and what is your game missing to win that breaks down um, every single player on the wta into atp tour that has progressed towards uh, the round of 16 of a grand slam or better and it showcases indirectly how these seven keys before they were unveiled explicitly influence their game and or why they are predicted um, so recall our predictive analytics to ascend towards the top 10 or why they are going to regress and or stay the same why they have lost in the quarterfinals or why they progressed to their first semi-final and so forth and it's really important to remember this but if anything you take from today's episode please remember the baseline and i think uh, we're running out of time again so we're going to wrap up on that topic because i think i've dropped a 
really significant secret here and also obviously the correlations um, that we're privy to in the what is your game missing series so as always if you want to progress towards that top 10 tennis ranking the blueprint is there how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking is now yours and lucky enough this episode will come out just in time for Christmas and you can get your hands on how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking um, directly from our website AMA International with our downloads um, ready. So as always uh, the 2024 season is just around the corner. Those key technical parameters remember full circle individuals we all learn differently the importance of that coach the athlete the just embodying the the new i think the technical inferences to those patterns of play what we really need to be mindful of to mitigating injuries uh, and how fundamental i think these rulers are specifically for players uh, with their sights set on heading towards a top 10 tennis ranking Thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we wrapped up really quickly, but then again, I also think we got carried away in the best possible way on some really key points, especially that huge secret that I dropped. And I really hope for the players, especially if you are preparing for the 2024 Australian Open, please be mindful of that ruler. Um, in respect to the baseline and please let me know and get in touch uh, not only just to learn more or for feedback in that respect but I'd love to know how your training your conditioning um, is going um, in that respect because I can guarantee you if you want to amplify those results and progress those I think outcomes for um, the 2024 Australian Open it's on its way with these specific rulers in place. Uh, to grab your copy of The Secrets to Optimal Coaching Success, head on over to AMA International. To grab your copy of my new release, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking, you can also find it on AMA International or on Amazon, irrespective where you're based in the world. For any comments or questions, head to AMA or Topic Thread, the social platform set on data privacy. And to interact with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, head on over to Twitter, Threads or Instagram. To catch up on our weekly coaching tips, head on over to TikTok. And to catch up on our blogs, head on over to AMA International and look for our blog tab or head on over to Medium. And as always, I'll leave all the links in the episode notes. For something different, head on over to Pink Octopus Books. That's where my fictional release is. To view this week's question and poll, be sure to visit Spotify if you're listening on one of the other many platforms out there. Um, or for something left of field, visit Spruit for some random polls. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, like, share, and all of the above would be absolutely phenomenal. And for those of you who are interested, we do have scholarships available on AMA International, as well as options to work with me exclusively to optimize your performance to nudge you closer towards that top 10 tennis.
fitness ranking. So don't be shy and come and say hi. And that is a big, big shout out, especially if you are on the brink of peaking um, with the 2024 Australian Open around the corner. Don't be shy because the best part is this is this one time of the year where you will be based in Australia. And yes, I'm also based in Australia just around the corner, which also means if you are playing in the Brisbane International, please do reach out. On that note, thank you so much for listening. I'm so incredibly grateful. I am your host, Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge, and this is Beyond Top 10 Tennis, and I'll see you next time.